Amen. Let's turn our Bibles, if you've got them this morning, to the book of Psalms, chapter 37. Psalms, chapter 37. Anybody know who Ernest Hemingway is? Most people have at least heard his name. Um, that was my case. I knew that he existed, that he was somewhat famous. Um, anyway, Ernest Miller Hemingway was an American novelist, a short story writer, a journalist, and a sportsman. He won the Pulitzer Prize in 1953 and the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1954 for his novel entitled The Old Man and the Sea. Ernest Hemingway was rich, he was famous, and he was successful. He seemingly had it all. Yet, this is what he said about his own life when he would describe it as quoted, I live in a vacuum that is as lonely as a radio tube when the batteries are dead and there is no current to plug into. That's a dreary explanation of your own life. Hemingway lived his life in a way that would be the envy of any person who was bought into the values of this world. He had just about any desire of his heart within his reach, yet he still felt lonely, unsatisfied, and empty. But on a Sunday morning uh, in Idaho in 1961, he put a gun to his head and took his own life. Hemingway gave up on trying to fill the bottomless pit that was a heart that desired after the world. You see, when we come to the realization that our heart's one true desire is not in the world, but it is to delight in the Lord, we can live life to its fullest and realize our true purpose and joy in life. The life we desire and the life that the Lord desires for us is a life that is delighted in the Lord. So let's read our text tonight, Psalms 34, one verse, chapter, uh, verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This morning I'm going to preach a sermon I've entitled, A Life Delighted in the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, help us this morning. God, let your spirit speak to your children today, God, that it would not be, God, by my words, God, by my intellect, Father, but by your spirit, Lord, I hide behind your cross, God. Speak to your people today, in Jesus' name, amen. So a relationship with God or religion or living life in the world can oftentimes come with two extremes. When we talk about delighting ourselves in the Lord or seeking after God or seeking after just delight and happiness in general, there are two uh, extremes that people can find themselves on. The first one is a life of religious self-denial. You all know the, the phrase self-denial. Amen. Uh, what ultimately happens with a life of religious self-denial is living a life of a dead religion that leaves us fighting our flesh on our own. Many religions focus on doing certain deeds or abstaining from certain things or, or doing certain things and staying away from other things while still trying to appear a certain way. And this ultimately results in a public display of righteousness while still inwardly we are sinful and we are lost. Jesus dealt with the Pharisees on this issue in Matthew 23 verses 
25 through 26, Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, Woe to you, uh, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be also clean. You guys do that at home when you're cleaning dishes. You only clean the outside and then put it back in the cupboard. It just doesn't make sense, right? Jesus is saying the real issue is on the inside of the dish. The real issue is on the inside of the human. He says it doesn't matter the outward appearance. The inward appearance is where the filth is. You see, the Pharisees, if you've read the Gospels, you know, were so focused on their outward appearance of righteousness to the people that they allowed their inward sin to create so much pride within them that they came face to face with God himself and missed him entirely. And beyond that, they crucified him. You see, religious activity on its own is a man's attempt attempt to get closer to God without letting God get involved. It's like following celebrities and athletes, you know, religiously. You have these people who they got their favorite player, right? And they put on their jersey and they cheer for them every game and they buy their merchandise in their card. Or maybe it's a celebrity. They got their posters on their wall. They watch all their movies. They read all of their books that they probably didn't actually even write. And they know everything about this person but that person has no clue that you exist that's what religion can turn us into is is somebody who knows a thing or two about a bigger figure but has no real relationship with them so whether it be within the constructs of the laws that we find within the bibles or uh, within the bible or with it, within false religions just to name a few islam uh uh Jehovah Witnesses, Mormonism, Hinduism, Scientology, even Buddhism, and the list goes on of these religions that are created to get us closer to God or a God or, or become a God even. You see, within these religions, what it ultimately ends up being is there's an endless and unsuccessful effort to draw close to that God or a God. Some of them acknowledge a different God, but ultimately we leave ourselves and our hearts dissatisfied and our souls empty. When we put in the effort on our own power without getting God involved, we end up just washing the outside while still having filth on the inside as Jesus dealt with. Now, the opposite end to that is delighting in our flesh and our heart's desires as much as we want to and not delighting in God. And this ultimately can result in abusing God's grace to indulge in the flesh as we desire to. So there is a, a, a element of ignoring God and living, quote, your best life. You know, that he, so-and-so is living their best life. You ever notice how usually when somebody says, so-and-so is living their best life. It oftentimes is tied to some type of sinful activity <laughs> or indulging in the flesh or something uh, uh, extravagant. You see, when we abuse God's grace, it causes us to reject Jesus altogether. In today's day and age, there are too many uh, 
today's day and age of Christianity, to many people, this is a, a, an element of grace, that we can live life the way we want. We can indulge in our fleshly desires because Jesus died for that. That's what people say. They'll, they'll go drinking. They'll do the, all the gambling, sexual immorality, pornography, uh, um, immoral relationships, gossiping, swearing, gluttony, pride, materialism. The list goes on, and we could talk about it all day. But what they'll say is, I can do these things because Jesus died for me. Now, this theology has a name. It's called hyper-grace. The idea is that Jesus came and died for me, so I don't really have to try to live right. I'm covered by the blood. That's what they'll say. You see, people who believe this theology, if I'm going to be honest, clearly don't read their Bible. These are the same people who will also, in the same breath, probably say, only God can judge me. Well, if you claim to be covered by the blood and have no intention of living different, and then you say only God can judge me, then that should frighten you. Because Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31 says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, that means intentionally, on purpose, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know, him, uh, we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. That is a heavy passage of Scripture, but nonetheless a passage of Scripture. One that, that I wish many people who live in this hyper-grace theology would, would read themselves as they begin to realize that the Word of God says that if we go on sinning deliberately, so in other words, if we know the Word of God says don't live this way, and we go, I'm going to live this way anyway, that the Word of God says there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. This is speaking of backsliding. This is speaking of not being saved. There's no other really way to put it. This is, and I'm not talking about like, oh, you know, you struggle with, with A, B, and C, and, and God says, don't do that, and you say, okay, God, and then you accidentally fall into B, and then you're doomed forever. No, it's a, it's a heart of repentance. God, I, I know you said I don't, I shouldn't live that way, so I'm not gonna live that way, and of course, we're stinky little humans, and we mess up, and we make mistakes, but we return to God with a repentant heart, desiring to not live that way anymore. But the Word of God says that if we know what the Word of God says about our lives, and we do nothing about it, there no longer remains a sacrifice for us. You know, and I wonder, because of this hyper-grace theology, because of a lack of teaching of the hard parts of the Word of God, listen, reading this, this passage is not something I, I look forward 
to reading, but it's it's a warning that is necessary for people. These these people who live in this hyper grace theology that aren't being taught the hard parts of the word of God, who who assume they're right with God because all they do is listen to the man behind the pulpit with a grin and a, and a nice haircut, which I'm overdue for a haircut, so that's not me. Amen. But they don't realize that their punishment for their sins is coming, that they, that they are not living according to the Word of God. Not only that, because they know the grace of Jesus Christ, because they know the sacrifice He made for them, this passage says how much worse the punishment. So in other words, they're saying you would be better off not knowing anything than to know what you know and to continue living the way you're living. The one who was trampled underfoot, the Son of God, who has profaned the blood of the covenant, by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. I don't want to fall into that description. And I don't want anybody who sets foot into this building to fall under that description, to be classified as somebody who has trampled underfoot the Son of God. So it's one thing to be lost in the world, but it's another thing to know the grace of God, to know the compassion of Jesus Christ, and to essentially trample on Him and His grace by continuing to live the way that our flesh dictates. You see, this is not just bad theology. This is theology that leads people into more severe judgment and of knowingly sinning and ultimately leads people straight to hell. This is essentially acknowledging the gift of Christ, but rejecting what it should do within us. And again, Paul clearly condemns this type of thinking in Romans chapter 6. Verses 1 through 4, Paul writes, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. How can we claim to be a new person by the blood of Christ and not walk in newness of life. Paul is saying, we, because we're saved, because we're covered by grace and not by our works, should we continue to sin in these ways? And he says, with an exclamation point, by no means. And he caps it off in verse 4. He says, we must walk in newness of life. That means a new life. That means a different trajectory. That means new decisions. Romans 6, verse 6, he continues, and he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we should no longer be enslaved to sin. Jesus Christ set us free from sin. He didn't set us free to sin. It's a cheesy catchphrase, but it's the reality. He didn't die for us so that we could go on sinning. He died for us so that we could be set free from our sins. A life of sin is a life of slavery. To wickedness. And so many people today live in bondage, looking for answers in the world, just like Ernest Hemingway. The guy had everything he could want. Anything he wanted, he could have at the tip of his fingers. And he could not find what satisfied his heart. So he took his own life. 
They can live the lie of a little more of this, a little more of that, a little more sin, and I'll be happy. I just need, uh, you, you know, you see people of the world, and they set goals for themselves, especially the ones who are successful in our eyes, and, and they achieve this, and then they go, all right, this didn't feel like I thought it would. I got to go higher. I got to do more. I got to get. And then the same thing is true for indulging in the flesh when it comes to, to things like drugs and alcohol and sexual immorality. Oh, the next person I sleep with will be the one that, that really satisfies. The next boo I drink, booze will, I drink will be the one that really makes me feel. And then you wake up the next day feeling just like you did, if not worse, the day before. Listen to me. Christ brings happiness. Christ can set you free. There is no other answer. If we remain in a life of sin, we are rejecting the sacrifice of Christ. That is what the Word of God says. We remain in the chains of sin as Christ stands there with the keys. I got the answer. But God does not force himself on us. Jesus Christ does not pin us down and say, let me set you free. It doesn't work that way. He wants us to come to him, to, to make the choice, to put our trust in him, that we might profess that he is Christ. You see, but we might profess, we might say with our mouths that he is Christ, but we don't ever allow him to actually set us free. Our, our lives don't ever reflect the fact that we say with our mouths that he is Christ, but our lives when we believe with our hearts that he is Christ looks different. Jesus died to cleanse us of our sins and to set us free from that bondage. Jesus to the woman caught in adultery as the, the men drag her butt naked as the word of God says. How embarrassing. They say they caught her in the act of adultery. And they say, Jesus, the, the, the law commands that she should be stoned. And then he says, what does Jesus say? He that is without sin casts the first stone. And they all, the story is longer than what I'm telling you right now, but just for time's sake, they, they all one by one go away until it's just Jesus and that woman curled up in a ball waiting for stones to fly, waiting for judgment to come. And he asks her, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none, Lord. And then he replies to her, he says, neither do I condemn you. And then this is the key phrase, go and sin no more. You see, he didn't say, I forgive you now. Go ahead and go back to life as it was before. Go ahead and, and continue to indulge in your flesh. My blood, it's gonna, you're covered, you're good. Go ahead and continue sleeping around. Go ahead and continue doing this. No, he tells her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So at this point, you might be thinking, Pastor, first you said not to live too religiously, trying to do the right things, and now you're telling me not to live in the flesh. So where do we meet in between? Where, what's the, we, we seem to have conflicting issues here, but... I will simply tell you, yes, both. We can't live too religiously. We can't live too flippantly either. We can't live by checking boxes and trying to look good and, and, and act good while also ab on the other side abusing the grace of God. But rather what we need to do, and the answer is found in our text, is to just seek God. And when we do that, the lifestyles tend to sort themselves out. 
the way we live, the things we do, the decisions we make tend to fall into place. You see, the difference between religion and abusing God's grace is that there is a genuine and intimate relationship with our God. And we find our desires in life. We find the ability to live righteously, not because of religious check marks, but because of our love for God. And we find our never-ending grace that we would never want to abuse when we find a life that is delighted in God. Our text, Psalms 37, verse 4, says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, firstly, I want to deal with this verse in itself. This verse is oftentimes used to create a genie in a bottle out of God. They say, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you all the stuff you want. Right? That's kind of the, the context that people tend to discuss this verse within that, that, if we, that, that God will just give us the things that we want. And there is some truth to that. You see, to get uh, what we want and our ways in our lives is, is, is what the world will tell you. But they genu- generally will neglect the delight yourself in the Lord part. They just go straight for the desires, right? It's, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And many times in many different hyper-grace theologies, when this verse comes up, they, they kind of preach it that way. Delight yourselves in the Lord, and He will give you the... So, so come to church on Sunday and make sure you put your tithes in the basket and buy our merchandise over here, and God will bless your life. You see, they neglect the delight yourself in the Lord part, and they go straight for the desires. You see, this verse is designed to help you do just that, to get the desires of your heart but not in the way that these people talk about, not in the way that the, that the little inspirational memes on Facebook will say. You see, delight yourself in the Lord is a precursor to getting the desires of your heart. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and, or and then, He will give you the desires of your heart. You see, but what happens over time is when we delight ourselves in the Lord, the desires of our heart align with His heart. They change. They they get molded by the the potter's hands. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Speaking of Jesus Christ says, For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. That's what I want you to catch. All things were created through Him and for Him. That's me and that's you. All things were created through Him and for Him. We were created for God. Not for ourselves. Not for our, to, to satisfy our, our flesh, our own goals, our own desires. We were created for God. Adam and Eve, before everything went to, to be a big giant mess... We're created to walk with God, to be with God, to have a relationship with God. Why is that? Isaiah 43, verse 21 says, The people whom I formed for myself, these are the words of God, that they might declare my praise. We were created to praise God. We were created to sing His glory, to give Him glory with our lives. 
And here's the revelation for Christians when seeking their desires. Living for Christ is the ultimate desire of our hearts. Our heart in the world is deceitfully wicked. The Bible says that. Our heart is deceitfully wicked for who can understand it. But in its purest form, the desires of our heart is to live for Christ, to experience Him, to, to know Him. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. I believe that this verse once lived out, when it's actually applied to our lives from the very first letter to the period, not just the delight yourself, not just the desires of your heart part. When it's truly lived out, it will, it will say within our hearts, delight yourself in the Lord, for that is the desire of your heart. We were created to worship God. We were created to have a relationship with Him. We were created to know Him and for Him to know us. The Lord is the desire of your heart. We spend so much time trying to do this, go there, talk to that person, be this person, to try to fill the desires of our heart and continually, time and time again, finding ourselves empty because the only thing that can fill that void is God Himself. It's the old song by Plum. There's a God-shaped hole in all of us. It's really cheesy, but it's really true. There is nothing in this world that will satisfy the void within us except for God himself. If you haven't heard that song, look it up. It's a good song. It's old, but it's good. You see, but the difficult part about this, the reason why we don't just see people flocking to the house of God, flocking to read the word and, and doing all of these things is because the, the, our sinful nature, our fleshly desires is contrary to this. You see, there's something within us that says we need something to fill this void. And our soul cries out for God, but our flesh cries out for everything else. Galatians 5, 16 through 17 says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify, gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. In case you guys didn't believe me, the Word of God said just what I just said. The Word of God said it first. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. Our flesh and our spirit are like mortal enemies living within one small house. Like it's this, it's this constant fight. But the key here that Paul gives us in this letter to the Galatian church is that he says, walk by the Spirit. What does that mean? Pray every day. Read your Bible every day. Go to church. Commune with fellow believers. Do these things to satisfy your spirit so that it has what it needs to defeat the flesh. We cannot allow ourselves to be overcome by our flesh. But fighting against the desires of the flesh is a daily struggle. Coming to church just on Sundays is not, not going to cut it. Even twice on Sunday and once on Wednesday. That's a lot better than most people, but that's still not going to cut it. We must stand firm in the Spirit. We must seek God daily. We must be in prayer. We must be in the Scriptures if we truly want to overcome the desires of our flesh. The des you ever do something really stupid out of emotion? 
and you're like, that was really stupid, like almost immediately after. That's the conflict within. You, you, you lash out in anger at somebody you love, and then you immediately feel horrible. It's because your flesh wants to just use and abuse. But your soul says, no, that was not right. You want to get that type of stuff under control? You need God. You need the Holy Spirit to guide you every day. You need His help. We must stand firm in the Spirit. And when we stand firm in the Spirit, we experience freedom. Freedom from the flesh. Freedom to live within Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, for, the freedom, uh, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's saying, Jesus has set you free. Don't go back to the sin. Don't go back to the old things. Don't go back to the stuff that he died to set you free from. Because it's there. It's waiting for you. Chains and shackles ready to bind you again. They're, they're try- hey, come on back over. Don't you remember all the fun times you had on Friday nights? But they won't mention the hangover on Saturday morning. Don't you remember the fun times you had with those, with sleeping around promiscuously? But they won't tell you about the, I'm not even going to get into that stuff. The chains of the world are always open for us. And we have to stand firm in the spirit and the freedom of Christ that he has for us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve one another. Paul writes, we're called to freedom, not free to sin, but free to love, free to serve, free to act within the will of God. And when we are truly delighted in the Lord, he will act freely within us as we serve him, that he will show us the things that he wants to show us, the stuff that hard decisions before become easier. The will of God just makes sense. You see, when, being, when asked how to discern the will of God, St. Augustine had this answer. He says, love God with all your heart and then do whatever you want. Because he understood that when you love God with all your heart, that there's something within you that desires to please God, to honor God, to obey Him, to praise Him, to worship Him. And when you love God with all your heart and then you do whatever you want, it tends to be within His will. It tends to be to honor and glorify Him. Seeking God is what gives us the direction in our lives. We tend to think, I've got to get my life figured out and then, I'll, and then I'll get right with God. No, it's the other way around. You want to get your life figured out, you need to get right with God. You want to figure out what direction to take your life? You need to get right with God. Psalms 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my, fa- into my path. A, a, a verse like this ch- tends to go lost on us today because we have electricity, we got lights everywhere, we can see where we're going almost constantly. Worst case scenario, in the middle of the night, we fumble around and get our phones and turn it on and we can get to the bathroom without stubbing our toes. But you have to understand... There was no such thing as electricity. If it was dark, it was dark. And of course, King David writes this psalm speaking more spiritually than physically. He's not talking about, you know, carrying around a Bible and all of a sudden it lights up at night. No, he's talking about your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. And what that meant is in those day and age, if they're traveling at night, they would carry a lamp strapped to their feet so that they could always see what was by their feet. You're talking about traveling in the wilderness where you could step on a snake. 
come upon wild animals, dangers, things like that. They had to be able to always see their feet. They didn't step in holes and things. And then they would carry a, a light so that they could see this, what was ahead of them. And Paul says, or I'm sorry, David says, your word is what guides me. It's see, it, I can see where my feet are. My feet are in the will of God. I can see where my feet are. I know I'm standing where I should be. And I can see the path ahead of me because your word is guiding me where I need to go. And then Psalm 119, verse 107. He writes, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, God, O Lord, according to your word, that when we come into the tragedies, the difficulties, the hard times of life, that his word can bring us out of affliction, that his word can guide us in the situations that we are finding ourselves in. You see, those two verses I just read, those were, that was part of a psalm written by King David himself, king, king of one of the most powerful nations, if not the most powerful nation in the world. But yet, even as a king, he knew that life was truly found according to the word of God, that wisdom and guidance for his life was found according to the word of God. And when we seek his word, when we desire to die to our fleshly desires, to seek the will of Christ for our lives, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, when we allow ourselves to be crucified with Christ, we find life to its fullest potential. The old self dies. The new self is birthed by the Spirit. Gretchen Saffel says this, Dying to yourself does not mean missing out on true life. Many people view it that way. But it really means embracing life as it was always meant to be. Worshipping God, serving others, and living for His glory. Dying to yourself isn't the loss of who you are as a person. It's discovering who you were meant to be as a servant, a sacrifice, and a recipient of God's grace. You see, we can live our lives in our own flesh, seeking our own desires, but never being fulfilled. Or we can realize, come to the, to the realization of the truth that we were created for a life of freedom to be saved by Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, throughout the Gospels, encountered many sinners during his time on earth. There was plenty of them, right? You read story after story. In fact, every person he encountered was a sinner. Spoiler alert, all of them. He was the only one that wasn't. But what we see in the Gospels is that the people he encountered, there were people like the Pharisees who were too religious to accept Christ for who he was. They were too wrapped up in their own ideas to even see that the Messiah was standing right in front of them. Then there was the people wrapped up in the world. You look at the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, okay, but you got to let go of some worldly things so that you can truly be focused. And the Bible says that he went away sorrowful because he couldn't let go of his worldly, his fleshly desires. 
enabling him to follow, who realized that they were stuck in their religion or they were stuck in their fleshly ways. They saw themselves, as the Word of God said, sinners desperately in need of help, and Jesus Christ was the solution. And they found freedom in Christ. Jesus Christ says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's a promise from the Word of God. So then begs the question, which of these three will we be? The religious people who couldn't even see Jesus face to face? The worldly people who were so wrapped up in their desires that they couldn't let go even though Jesus was right in front of them. Or the ones who realized they were desperately lost, desperately wicked, and desperately needed Jesus Christ. Because the true desire of our hearts, the true thing that we need within, is to be delighted in Christ and living a life delighting in Him. Can I have every head bowed and every eyes closed this morning?